Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. In Series 4, we discussed the case of Miller and the College of Policing with George Thomas, barrister at Sergeants Inn. I'm delighted to have George here again today to discuss the recent decision in that case. George, before we discuss the appeal, can you remind us of the background to the case? Yes, for those who are unfamiliar with the Crown on the application of Miller and the College of Policing from 2020 in the High Court, the case concerns tweets considered to be offensive to transgender persons. The claimant uh, is a former police officer Mr. Miller held strong views on transgender issues and posted a total of 31 tweets, including retweets, which came to the attention of Mrs. B through a friend. Mrs. B complained to the police uh, under a policy called Hate Crime Operational Guidance, Humberside Police recorded the matter as a non-crime hate incident. In a number of police reports, Mr. Miller was then referred to as the suspect and Mrs. B as the victim. A decision was made to allocate the case to an investigating officer, and subsequently a police constable attended Mr. Miller's workplace in order to speak to him. He left a message for Mr. Miller and then phoned him when Mr. Miller was not available. Mr. Miller lodged a formal complaint with Humberside Police Professional Standards Department about their conduct and with the Humberside Police Appeals Body. The force's actions were defended and the complaints were dismissed. Mr Miller then brought a claim for judicial review against both the College of Policing and the Chief Constable of Humberside Police. Mr Miller's case was put in two ways. The College of Policing guidance was unlawful as it was contrary to his right of freedom of expression at common law. And secondly, that the actions of the police recording the allegation against him and their subsequent dealings amounted to an unlawful interference under his rights. So for a more in-depth discussion of the law, do please listen to our previous episode. But in essence, the judge concluded that a lawful policy had been unlawfully applied by Humberside Police in Mr Miller's case. The fact that the allegation had been recorded was not in itself unlawful. Rather, the illegality stemmed from the actions of Humberside Police once the allegation had been recorded. Mr Miller asked for permission to appeal and he was given a leapfrog certificate to appeal to the Supreme Court with permission to go to the Court of Appeal on the grounds of whether the recording of non-crime hate incidents pursuant to the College of Policing Guidance was unlawful at common law and or contrary to Article 10 of the Convention. Yes, the Supreme Court declined to accept the leapfrog certificate, and so it was the Court of Appeal who heard the case. Uh, They handed down their judgment on the 20th of December 2021, and the Court of Appeal found that the appellant's right to freedom of expression under Article 10 had been infringed by the 2014 guidance on recording non-crime hate incidents. 
What was the uh, 2014 guidance? The 2014 guidance was issued in 2014 by the College of Policing, and it was the national policy approach to the monitoring and recording of non-crime hate incidents. It provides for something called perception-based recording, and that is a policy that requires the recording of a non-crime incident where the incident was perceived by the victim to have been, and I quote, motivated by a hostility or prejudice against a person who is transgender or perceived to be transgender or relating to other protected characteristics. So what did that mean in this case? Well, it meant that under the 2014 guidance, these incidents must be recorded by the police, whether or not there was any evidence of the hate element. And what would the effect have been for Mr Miller? Well, the non-crime hate incident, as it is not a crime, cannot be disclosed on an ordinary criminal record certificate. But it may be disclosed on an enhanced criminal record certificate if one is requested by the Disclosure and Barring Service. Uh, the decision as to whether or not to include it is then made by the chief officer in each local police force. And so there is the potential for a non-crime hate incident to appear on an enhanced criminal records certificate. And turning back to the appeal, what were the grounds that Mr Miller based his appeal on? Mr Miller based his appeal on five grounds. Ground one was that the 2014 guidance was unlawful in the absence of statutory or common law authorisation. The second was that the 2014 guidance was on the mandatory recording of non-crime hate incidents without evidence of hate was unlawful. Ground three was that the judge was wrong to hold that the 2014 guidance involved no incident, no interference, I should say, with the right to freedom of expression under Article 10.1 of the ECHR. Ground four was that the 2014 guidance did not satisfy the ECHR requirement of foreseeability, uh, nor was any interference with Article 10.1 prescribed by law. The fifth ground was that the judge was wrong in finding that the relevant provisions of the 2014 guidance to be proportionate and or necessary in a democratic society. Dealing first with the grounds that uh, Mr Miller was unsuccessful on, which, which of the grounds w was that? Well, he was unsuccessful on three of those five grounds, on grounds one, two and four. On ground one, the court found that it was not correct that any action which may interfere with the fundamental right to freedom of expression, unless clearly authorised by primary legislation, is unlawful. The police have the power at common law to record and retain a wide variety of data and information, and that statutory authorisation was not necessary for non-intrusive data collection, even if the gathering and retention of the data interferes with convention rights. On ground two, the court did not accept that this was a distinct point from wider arguments on the proportionality of actions taken by Humberside Police. And on ground four, the court found that the 2014 guidance was sufficiently clear and publicly available so as to be foreseeable and so as to be regarded as prescribed by law. So um, Mr Miller was successful then on grounds three and five? He was. 
Uh, the court concluded that the operation of the 2014 guidance had amounted to an interference with Mr Miller's right to freedom of expression under Article 10. On ground three, the court considered that the Strasbourg jurisprudence on the existence of chilling effects on free speech and the circumstances in which they are to arise. The court considered the concept of the chilling effect in the context of freedom of expression to be an extremely important one. The court determined that by going to Mr Miller's place of work and warning him that he was at risk of criminal prosecution, uh, that there was accordingly an interference with his Article 10.1 rights, even though he was not subject to a formal sanction. The police had infringed on Mr Miller's rights and the same conclusion should have been reached regarding the 2014 guidance. Now, in the judgment, uh, the court emphasised that Article 10 offers wide protection for all expressive activities by virtue of a very broad understanding of what constitutes an interference with freedom of expression. This is particularly so in the context of political speech and debate on questions of public interest. And in our first podcast on this case, uh, we looked in detail at uh, the evidence before the judge at first instance as to the public interest. Again, the court deferred to Strasbourg jurisprudence and that there is, and I quote, little scope under Article 10.2 of the Convention for restriction on political speech or on the debate on questions of public interest. The Court of Appeal identified the interference with Mr Miller's rights as Mr Miller belongs to a group of people who could easily be stigmatised for their opinions and be subject to complaints by those offended by his views. Mr Miller's rights were violated by the 2014 guidance as he was required to modify his conduct because of them or risk having a non-crime hate incident being recorded against him and he is a member of a class of people who risks being directly affected by the measure. Further, the court stated not only is there a chilling effect on future similar statements because of the fear of a record being made, but here is also a non-trivial risk that in the future such a record might be disclosed on an enhanced uh, criminal records check. Uh, but for the hate incident, there would be no such risk. The record means that this risk is there and that inevitably has a chilling effect. And on ground five? The court undertook an assessment of the legitimate aims to which the 2014 guidance is directed and the availability of less intrusive alternatives. The court found that there was no provision for proportionality to be applied to the recording of a non-hate crime record and that less intrusive measures could be used to achieve the legitimate aims of such recordings without acceptably compromising the achievement of those aims. The court concluded that the 2014 guidance amounted to a disproportionate interference in Mr Miller's uh, exercise of his Article 10.1 rights. And what then are the implications of this judgment? Well, there is now updated guidance, uh, dated uh, October 2020, which postdated the events 
that predated the judgment. Now, the judge and the Court of Appeal were not overly impressed by that guidance, uh, suggesting that it perhaps does not place enough emphasis on an individual officer's discretion when responding to incidents such as this. And no doubt uh, that guidance will be revised uh, at various stages in the future. The judgment is a reminder of the importance of Article 10 rights uh, and that the police have to be very careful when addressing freedom of speech and when they find themselves invited to arbitrate in disputes such as this. Uh, less intrusive means must be taken wherever possible. And uh, lastly, I'd suggest that this is an area for having officers with particular training or experience or failing that to make sure that they have had a very careful briefing before they take any action in this type of scenario. Uh, there is no doubt now a, a current legally uh, to take full account of the chilling effect that people may feel uh, who, who wish to exercise their Article 10 rights, but fear consequences uh, from the state if they do so. Uh, thank you very much, George, for that update, um, which was very useful. Thank you for downloading the Plod Podcasts, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.